good morning, church. Uh, happy Sunday. So excited that you all are here today. Um, I'm excited for part two of what we started last week. Um, and I'm, I'm equally as excited, as I mentioned last week, to have Cherie up here with me. Um, if you couldn't tell, she brings a whole nother level. And I tell her that all the time. Um, she is just... She is just the best, and I am so thankful for her. Uh, and, and for her to step out of her comfort zone, this is definitely out of her comfort zone. So I am so thankful for her to, um, to be up here with me and uh, to get to, to share what the Lord's put on our hearts. Um, so last week we started a series about living a spirit-led life and what that means. Um, and we, we talked about a lot of different things, but we want to hit on just a few, a few things of review. I promise I won't do a 30-minute review, uh, but I just want to ground us in, in some of these things because it really applies um, to what we'll be sharing today. So spirit-led life, what does that even mean? And, and what does it take to live a spirit-led life? So first and foremost, in order to live a spirit-led life, we first need to be filled with the Spirit. Um, we need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to take the time and fill ourselves with the Spirit. So what does that mean and how do we do that? We all know that there's competing priorities in our life for our time, for our energy, for our finances, for everything. Um, but really to be filled with the Spirit means that we're prioritizing the time in the right places. We don't allow those competing priorities to overtake our thought life, our prayer time, our Bible time, our time basking in the presence of the Lord. We fill ourselves up with the Spirit by spending time with Him. It's just like if you were to be at a restaurant, right? I, I don't know about you, uh, but when I go to a restaurant, if I'm eating, I usually have about four or five refills during the time that I'm at the restaurant. It's probably annoying for our servers. Um, I just, I like, to, I, I like to drink a lot. I, it's, I've been like that way. In fact, when I was a child, I was somewhat picky. And the way that my parents would get me to eat is they would move my juice or water or whatever away from me so that I would eat instead of filling up with, with liquids. But, they, you know, servers come and they fill, your, they fill your drink up, whether it's water or soda or whatever you're drinking. And they do that because they see that you've run dry. And we also need to understand in our own life, that in order to be filled with the Spirit, it takes us taking that time. Otherwise, we run dry. When we receive Christ, when we ask Jesus to be Lord of our life, we receive all of the Holy Spirit. We talked about this last week, that we don't receive part of the Holy Spirit or half of the Holy Spirit where we need to earn more of Him. We receive all of Him. He overtakes and fills us 100%. But what we do when we spend time with Him, uh, praying and, and, and just spending time with the Lord, is we allow Him to fill every part of our life. So living a life led by the Spirit means that we trust and believe that because of our relationship with Christ, that the Holy Spirit is going to lead and guide us through it all. So this week, we're going to take it a step further and we're going to talk about relationships. Now, I'm not talking, we're not just talking about marriage. That'll be in a few weeks. But today we're just talking about basic relationships. So what does it mean 
for friendships, for acquaintances, for leading a life that's led by the Spirit in our relationships. Right? Anything you want to add to start? No, you're good. No? Okay. So we're going to take you through a, a couple passages of Scripture that are long, so we don't have them up on the slide. So I encourage you to follow along. Turn with uh, to John chapter 6. Uh, we're going to start in verse 5. We're going to stay in John chapter 6 for a while. So uh, no need to, to, to bounce around, but we're going we're gonna to start in John chapter 6, uh, verse 5. Um, isn't the Lord good, man? I just, this is so good. This is, ah, it's just so good. Um, many of you have read this story before. You're, you're probably very familiar of the time that Jesus fed the 5,000. It's actually more than 5,000, but that's usually uh, how, it's, how it's titled. Um, today, though, I want us to look at it in a different light. We're going to look at it in a different way, and then we're going we're gonna to really look into and dive into what happens after Jesus feeds the 5,000. So follow along with me. I will read it. Um, I'm going to be reading out of the uh, Passion Translation. Um, I think it's, it, there's so many good nuggets in here that I just want to point out. So I'm going to read from verse 5 through verse 14 to get us started. So it says, As Jesus sat down, he looked out and saw the massive crowd of people scrambling up the hill, for they wanted to be near him. So he turned to Philip and said, Where will we buy enough food to feed all these people? Isn't it interesting that the first thing that Jesus, the first question that Jesus asked is, How are we going to feed them? I'll get to that in a little bit. Now, Jesus already knew what he was about to do, but he said this to stretch Philip's faith. Philip answered, Well, I suppose if we were to give everyone only a snack, it would cost thousands of dollars to buy enough food. Philip is a realist, right? Philip is a realist. Uh, and I love that he, well, I suppose. Uh, but then, but just then, Andrew, Peter's brother, spoke up and said, Look, here's a young person with five barley loaves and two small fish. But how far would that go with this huge crowd? Again, the disciples have been with Jesus. They've seen him do miraculous things already. And yet they still are saying, All we have are these five pieces of bread and these two fish. Crazy to me. Because if you're with Jesus, the King of Kings... This guy who has turned water into wine, who's literally, you know him as the Messiah, and you still go, what are we gonna do? shucks, how are we going to do this? Mm -hmm. So Jesus says, have everyone sit down. Jesus said this to his disciples. So on the vast grassy slope, more than 5,000 hungry people sat down. Jesus then took the barley loaves and the fish and gave thanks to God. He then gave it to the disciples to distribute the people distribute to the people. Miraculously, the food multiplied with everyone eating as much as they wanted. Not a little bit, not a snack like Philip thought. Mm -hmm. Eating as much as they wanted. Verse 12, when everyone was satisfied, think of like Thanksgiving satisfied, mm -hmm. Jesus told his disciples, now go back and gather up the pieces left over so that nothing will be wasted. The disciples filled up 12 baskets of fragrance, fragments, a basket of leftovers for each disciple. All the people were astounded as they saw with their own eyes the incredible miracle 
Jesus had performed. They began to say to themselves, He really is the one, the true prophet we've been expecting. It's such a cool story. You learn about that story in Bible school and Sunday school as, as a young child, and you're kind of blown away. <clears throat> and the thing that I, you know, as I was rereading, I was studying this this week um, on the bus as I was going into Minneapolis for, for work. Um, the thing that the Lord struck me is at the end of verse 13. I'm going to read it to you again. I'll, I'll start in verse 12. When everyone was satisfied, Jesus told his disciples, Now go back and gather up the pieces left over so that nothing would be wasted. Verse 13, The disciples filled up 12 baskets of fragrance, fragments, a basket of leftovers for each disciple. So here we are in this situation. Jesus sees this mass of people coming to see him. And he's kind of put in this spot of, what do we do now? And the thing that Jesus saw before anything else, before he got up and shared a big message or before he did anything else, he saw their need. He saw that first and foremost, these people were going to be hungry. I don't know about you all, but anybody who's been hangry knows what that's like. Anybody who has pet people in their family who get hangry, you know that Snickers commercial, you're not yourself when you're hungry? Jesus saw that in these people. He saw their need. And the thing that I love most about verse 13 is he not only did the miraculous, he multiplied this bread and he multiplied the fish, but he did it not just part of the way, not even all the way. He did it over and above. Not only were the people that were there that were gathered full and satisfied, he provided enough leftovers for each of his disciples each of his disciples to have a basket of extras. Christ always gives us more than we think. That's what leading a spirit-led relationship is like. You, he gives you more than you ever could think. Here the disciples are sitting there wondering, how are we going to do this? We've got this mass of people. How are we going to feed them? And Jesus said, watch me. Look at me. Watch what I'm going to do. He already knew what he was going to do. And he did it so there were leftovers. So even if people who weren't there could experience his love and experience that miracle. Because that basket of fragrant fragments went back to their families. Was given to other people. So even the people that weren't there got to experience the miracle of Jesus. Living spirit-led relationships... And this is the first point that I want to get at today. When you live in, in spirit-led relationships, when you are led by the Spirit in your relationships, you don't want to just give enough. You want to give more than enough. You want to pour yourself into that relationship. So that way when somebody looks at you, they don't see somebody that goes, oh, oh, they're, they're going to spend time with me, but they're always distracted. They're always doing something else. They always have something else on their mind. They're never really in tune paying attention to me. They're always busy doing something else. We all know those people where you, you meet with them and you're like, do they even remember a thing we just talked about? I know I have to catch myself. Sometimes I can, I can be that way. Where you've got 30,000 things going on in your head. I imagine having a conversation one-on-one -on -one with Jesus was not that. 
He wasn't thinking about who he needed to talk to next and was distracted. He had your undivided attention. Imagine if we led our relationships in that way, where every single person that we came in contact with, we gave our undivided attention, where we let them know that they are important. Imagine the impact that would have on our relationships. Imagine the impact that would have on our families, on ourselves, because now our focus is on that person and what they need and giving them all and more than all we have. One of the things that I have written down in my notes, and I want to expound on this a little bit because I think it's interesting. And we, I was just talking about that one friend. How many of you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand up a little bit because uh, I can't sit forever. Um, how many of you have had that one friend that seems to come over to your house, they eat all your food, they drink all your drinks, whatever that may be, and then they leave. And then they come back and they do it all over again. We all have that friend, right? And what is your thought when that person leaves? Like, man, they ate a lot. They leave anything. What's going on here? Exactly. Exactly. That's my point. How we respond to that person is so critical. That person might not even realize that they're doing that. I had a buddy in high school. He would come over. You remember the small tombstone pizzas? I don't even know if they make them anymore. My family grew up on tombstone pizza. We always had tombstone pizzas in our freezer. I still think tombstone is the best cardboard pizza. Don't tell me lots of matzo any of that. Tombstone is where it's at. He would come over. And I was, I was a smaller guy when I was younger, a lot smaller than I am now. And I could eat like half a pizza. And man, he, that guy could just devour food. Devour food. He, and I, I'm, I'm fairly certain my parents are like, oh gosh, he, uh, Adam Seren must have come over. Oh my gosh, our, our freezer. Yet, they never did. They never said that. My parents in the back, uh, they never did that. They weren't like, oh my gosh, Adam, can you guys stop eating food? I... I'm mildly terrified when our four kids are teenagers because I feel like it's going to be a lot of the same. In fact, funny sidebar, Sheree's aunt had teenage boys that were twins and ended up having to put a lock on their freezer because all the, all the kids would come over and they would eat all of the food out of the freezer. How we respond to those situations, those people, whether it's somebody that comes over and eats all your food or whether it's somebody who comes to you and just needs to vent all the time. How we respond to those people makes such a difference. Again, we have a choice. We can choose to lead spirit-led relationships like Jesus, give them our undivided attention, and listen. Or we can go, oh, that person again. You know, like, we have a choice. And when we choose to lead like Jesus... We don't look at that person as a problem. We don't look at that person as somebody who eats all our food. We don't look at that person as an obligation. We look at that person and we see them like Jesus sees them. We look at that person and we say, I love you. You might eat all my food. And I'm going to fill up my freezer the next time you're over because I know you're going to eat all my food. 
But that's what showing love is. It, and sometimes it's the littlest things that show love to people. Last week we heard about Aaron, and they're not, they're not able to be here today. But he, had, he was at Walmart, and he bought a bag of sticky rolls for this guy. Walmart brand sticky buns, like cheap, two bucks. And this guy was like, oh my gosh, why would you do that for me? Couldn't understand it. Because Aaron saw his need. This guy ended up opening up to him a little bit and sharing, man, it's, it's just been really hard recently. And, and like, you just don't know when you are led by the Spirit in your relationships, what kind of an impact you're going to have. Because that person who's coming over to your house and eating all your food, maybe it's a teenager, maybe their life at home really stinks. And they don't have food at home. And your home is the only place that they come that's normal. That there is food in the freezer. So you have a choice. You can either choose to love them and lead them like Jesus did, or you can do the opposite. Our relationships need to flow out of the same place and space that Christ did. So when you think about your friendships, your relationships, your relationships with your family, our relationships with them need to flow out of the same place, out of the same grace, out of the same mentality that Christ did. Sometimes family relationships, and we'll talk about family in a few weeks, those can be the hardest. Those can be the hardest. I have four siblings. I'm very thankful that I am close with them. We still get along. We still hang out at my parents' house. I'm so thankful for that. But not everyone has that. Where you're like, oh, I have to see my family again. We've all been there. We've all been there. Where you dread having to see certain people. But when we look at those people and, and look at those relationships with a lens of love, with a lens of grace, the way that Jesus would, it totally transforms the way that we think about relationships. Because now we're not looking at a relationship of how is this person giving to me? We're looking at the relationship of how can I give to this person? And that want, that's kind of where I want us to continue moving forward. And we'll talk about number two. So we're going to continue reading in John chapter 6. Let's jump ahead to verse 22, though. Now, we're going to read another uh, good chunk of Scripture here. Do you want to read it or do you want me to read it? I can read it. I can read it. You want to read it? Sure. Shree's going to read it. We're going to read from verse 22 through verse 36. 26 or 36? 36. 36. Okay. Um, the next morning, the crowds were still on the opposite shore of the lake, near the place where they had eaten the bread he had multiplied after he had given thanks to God. Yet Jesus was nowhere to be found. They realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus hadn't boarded. And they concluded that his disciples had left him behind. So when the people saw on the shoreline a number of small boats from Tiberias and realized Jesus and the disciples weren't there, they got into the boats and went to Caper Capernaum to search for him. When they finally found him, they asked him, Teacher, how did you get here? Jesus replied, let me make this very clear. You came looking for me because I fed you a miracle, not because you believe in me. Why would you strive for food that is perishable and not be passionate to seek the food of eternal life, which never spoils? 
I, the Son of Man, am ready to give you what matters most, for God the Father has destined me for this purpose. They replied, So what should we do if we want to do God's work? Jesus answered, The work you can do for God starts with believing in the one he has sent. They replied, Show us a miracle so we can see it, and then we'll believe in you. Moses took care of our ancestors who were fed by the miracle of manna every day in the desert, just like the scripture says. He fed them with bread from heaven. What sign will you perform for us? The truth is, Jesus said, Moses didn't give you the bread of heaven. It's my father who offers bread that comes as a dramatic sign from heaven. The bread of God is the one who came out of heaven to give his life to feed the world. Then please, sir, give us this bread every day, they replied. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Come every day to me, and you will never be hungry. Believe in me, and you will never be thirsty. Yet I've told you that even though you've seen me, you still do not believe in me. Isn't it interesting that these people, the day before, watch Jesus miraculously multiply food to feed them. More and more and more. All, all that they needed. And yet, the next day when they come and find Jesus, and he says, believe in me, they say, well, hold it. Why don't you do another miracle for us, and then we'll believe in you. So the next part is what I want, and point number two is spirit-led relationships don't expect or want something in return, spirit-led relationships first are called to serve. They're called to serve. So what does this mean? What does it mean to serve first? To serve first. How many of you ever worked in the fast food industry? I have. It, sort of. Subway is kind of fast food, right? It's fast food, right? It's still considered fast food. And how many of you have ever had to clean up after people in a fast food restaurant? I know I have. Or at Target. I always felt bad for our cart attendants. They always had to do the, the dirty jobs. Uh, anyways, I got, well, you, get, you get paid to do those things, to serve someone else. And how many of you have had in those situations, whether it's in fast food or in another occupation, where you've had to deal with an angry customer? Somebody who yells at you, right? They're upset because you put on green tomatoes that weren't ripe enough and I didn't like it. You were serving them and yet they chose to respond in a way that was contradictory to what you would expect. When we serve people, we don't expect anything in return. That's what true service means. You don't expect to get anything in return when you are serving somebody. So whether that's cleaning tables in a restaurant, whether that's serving in the military, I'm thankful my dad, he was a veteran. I have a special place in my heart for anyone who has served in the military because you are truly giving up of everything in your life to serve your country. That is what service is. Serving means that you lay aside your wants, your desires, your needs for someone else. 
If we didn't have people in the military, who would do that? We didn't have people that worked at restaurants, and right now we don't have a lot of people that work at restaurants. If you need a job, I'm sure you can find one there. Uh, we need those people to, to serve. And if you don't have a mentality to serve, the thing is, is Jesus has called all of us to serve first. To serve first. And that might look different for each of us. That might mean for one of, for, for one of us that serving is helping once a month with your neighbor who can't shovel their driveway and you got a snowstorm and you're out there shoveling their driveway. Serving also might look like you're helping volunteer at a homeless shelter or something like that. Every person serves in their own way. And sometimes we think of serving as this elaborate thing. Like it has to be bigger than ourselves. And service is truly just putting others first. And I think serving too is seeing. Seeing it. So if someone's got their arms full at the store, it's seeing they need help with that door. It's seeing that person in need. And it's also looking for it. So it's having our eyes open to say, God, show me who I can serve today. Show me. You know, it's, it's serving your children at home. It's, it comes in all different kinds and sizes, I feel like. Some serving is way more than others, like the military. I feel like that is like literally laying your life down for others. You know, and sometimes that's not the same as, you know, on the home front, serving in a smaller capacity. But it's still serving. Yeah. And like I think of, Shereen and I were just having this conversation yesterday. So I went to this leadership conference this week. It was incredible. It's called the Global Leadership Summit. It's a, a Christian, Christian-led leadership conference that is held every August. It was awesome. Um, and one of the questions that one of the speakers asked is, how do you feel most misunderstood? So I asked Shree this question last night. This is, right, I don't know where this comes from. Uh, and Shree said, Sometimes, being a stay-at-home mom, I feel misunderstood. Because some people look at being a stay-at-home parent, whether it's a mom or a dad, as this person that gets just to sit on the couch all day while their kids... Has all the free time in the world the to time. do whatever they want. That their house is just immaculate. Their children are just ducks in a row that follow you. And there's no troubles in your day. And that is not the case. I will say I had a fresh dose of reality as soon as I started working from home and watching all the things that Cherie has to navigate as a stay-at-home parent. Because I'll be, guilt I'll, I'll be honest and vulnerable here, for a, l a large portion of our marriage, I would come home from work and I'd be like, what happened in your day? It would look like a bomb went off in our house. Let's be honest, all the toys would be out, like... It was just, and I'm like, we survived today. Yes, we made it. My kids are alive, and we're okay. And and there's dinner on the table, and we did it. And, we and made we did it through it. a and day without dad, and we did it. And and to be fair, there were moments that I would come home and, and inwardly and sometimes externally be frustrated. And I'm being vulnerable here, so don't judge me here. I'm just being, I'm being transparent. I would say, Shree, what happened? What happened That would today? be the first question. What happened? There's dishes to be, like, what happened? And that was like 
year probably four or five in our marriage. We, we're celebrating our 13th. We've grown up a little bit. Our 13th wedding anniversary tomorrow. Um, and we've grown a lot. We've grown a lot. Now, instead of walking in and seeing the mess and going, bah! I go, oh, there's dishes to be done. Okay, I'm going to come and do the dishes. Or, oh, Shree's right in the middle of dinner. Okay, kids, like, how do we, like, I step in. And some of that took me learning what that looked like because being a stay-at-home parent, you are serving your kids all day long. Right, Sarah? <laughs> right? Like, you are at the beck and call of your kids all day long. Elijah, our four-year-old, even on the way to church today, if he wants your attention, he's going to get it. Mama. Second and a half later. Mama. Mom. Mommy. Mom. Shereen will be having a conversation in the front, and I'm like, how does she do this all day? How? But it's truly having a heart to serve. It's having a heart to serve. And, and I'm so thankful for Cherie because she truly models what it means to serve. And I want us to think about what does it mean to serve in our relationships with our friends, with our parents, with our siblings, with our spouses. What does service look like in those moments? It means we are choosing to put the other person first. Do you want to share? Yeah, in Mark 9.35, he sat down and called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. You know, in our culture, we see the people who are at the top of the companies, the people who have it all together, the people who, you know, have the house and everything that goes with it, you know. But, but God's kingdom is flipped, flipped over, and he's saying, that's not the way. That's not my way. You know, it might be the way of the world, but it's not my way. It's not how I want things. And so he's saying, the greatest among you will be the least, and the least among you will be the greatest. Not the one who is served, but the one who serves. And so just like, think about that this week. It's not about the one who is served, but the one who serves. And a lot of times we look at the person who serves as the lowly of the two. And God's saying, that's not, that's not it. That's not it. I want you to be others-centered, not self-centered. You know, it's not, it's not about me, 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 me. It's about others. It's about seeing God how, it's about seeing others how God sees them. And, you know, it's really a work in our heart. It's about our heart posture towards others and having a heart that says, I want to love people like Jesus loves people. I want to see people how Jesus sees people. And again and again in the Bible, he didn't see the people that were the ones being served. He saw the servants. He saw the people that were the downcasts. He saw the people that were pushed away from society. And he said, come, follow me. Come, I accept you. Like, it's it's about our heart, and it's about seeing people through the lens of Christ. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting when you start to think about the disciples and who they thought the Messiah was going to be. In that day and age, all of the kings that were there 
everyone served them. Everyone served them, right? So if you were a king, the way that I picture, I'm sitting on this like fancy, fancy throne, and I've got somebody over with a palm frond waving at me, somebody else feeding me grapes. I'm sure that wasn't the case. That's just what in my head I think of kings in that time. So to hear Jesus who is the Messiah, the King of Kings, that has been foretold to come, telling his followers, no, 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 you got it all wrong. If you want to follow me, you need to first learn how to serve others before you can serve me. You need to follow my lead and serve others before being served. And that had to have just been mind-blowing. Because I think... So many of these disciples, even up to the time that Jesus was crucified, expected Jesus to come riding in on his white horse with a sword and take down the Romans, and it was going to be all great, and Israel was going to be restored. And they couldn't see that he was saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to deal with the physical things. I'm going to deal with the things of the heart. I'm here to deal with those things, not to kill everybody and restore, restore Israel. Power. power. It's, power. Not it's not power. about power. It's actually the opposite of that. Humility. It's humility. Yes. And that's part of the reason, I mean, not part of the reason, the whole reason of him coming as a baby. You know, they were waiting for this powerful king, and he came as a, a baby that needed to be taken care of. You know, king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus as a baby. Who had poopy diapers. Yeah. And all of the things, yeah. right? He came yeah. innocent. Yeah. He, he didn't come on the, cl- I mean, he will come on the clouds, but at that time he came as a, as a baby, as an infant. And if you look at all of Jesus' ministry, everything that he did was in service of others. He gave of himself over and over and over again. He was the ultimate servant. So when we think about serving others, the focus needs to not be on us. The focus needs to be on others. And that can be hard. As Sheree mentioned, our society is so built on me. Me, 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 me. It's selfish. It's self-centered. We have selfie sticks. Let's be honest. Like, everything is about me. We think about ourselves before we think about anyone else. And there is, absolutely, there is times when you do need to take care of yourself. That's not what we're saying. There are times when you do need to have a moment of, I just need a break. Right? There are those moments. But when we choose in our relationships to serve first, you're going to be blown away with how much the Lord will fill your cup. He will fill you up in serving others, which you'd think is the opposite. You'd think if you gave more of yourself, you'd be more tired. You'd be depleted. But I challenge you that if you take on the mindset of serving others first, how filling that will be for you. How filling that will be for you. We want to kind of start to, to wrap this up. Um, 
with the, the last point. And I want us to con continue going. We're going to jump ahead quite a bit to John 6. And we're going to read from verses 66 to 69. So just a little context that happened in those verses um, that we, we passed over a little bit. So Jesus continues to share that he's the bread of life and, and that they need to choose to follow him. And ultimately, there are those that were there that disagreed with Jesus, that said, ah, not for me, and, and they left him. So as we pick it up in verse 66, Jesus uh, has some questions for his disciples. So I'll read it starting in verse 66. It says, And so from that time on, many of the disciples turned their back on Jesus. So when he's talking about the disciples there, he's talking about those that were there as part of the 5,000 and refused to be associated with him. So Jesus said to his 12, And you, do you also want to leave? Peter spoke up and said, But Lord, where would we go? No one but you gives us the revelation of eternal life. We're fully convinced that you are the anointed one, the son of the living God, and we believe in you. I'll read verse 70. Then Jesus shocked them with these words, I have handpicked you to be my twelve, knowing that one of you is the devil. That person being Judas. We don't need to go there today. But um, All of these people are choosing to walk away from Jesus because of things that he said. Controversial. Maybe offensive to some. Maybe offensive to many. And Jesus looks to his closest friends and he says, what about you? Are you going to choose to leave me? Are you going to choose to walk away? And Peter, who ends up betraying Jesus later, says, of course not, Lord. You're the only one that gives us eternal life. We know that you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. So, in spirit-led relationships, we must run to the opportunity to serve Jesus. Jesus gave the disciples an out. He said, if you want, you can choose to walk away. Now is your chance. You can go. There's the door. And they, and, and Peter, speaking for all of them, said, we're not going to do that. So leading spirit-led relationships first starts with choosing to follow and serve Jesus. And when we do that, when we give and we serve Jesus, not out of necessity or control, but out of abundance. Remember, Jesus didn't just feed them. He fed them abundantly. And we do that because we want to. We serve Jesus and we have a relationship with Jesus because we want to. Not because we have to. Our relationship with the Lord, with Him, should be focused on advancing His kingdom and His lordship in the world. So we talked about serving others. We also need to serve Jesus. Being obedient to what He has asked us to do. Being obedient to where He's asked us to go being obedient with who he's asked us to speak into their lives. 
not being afraid or terrified, but following his lead. We must understand who we are and when we are in him. Having a spirit-led relationship with Christ reminds us of whose we are and how uniquely we are made. Sheree talked about that a little bit earlier. God has created each and every one of us to be who we are. He has not made me to be like you or you to be like me. He has made me with a specific plan, purpose, and destiny. And when we serve Jesus, we open up the opportunity for him to lead us in that. We don't allow the distractions of what everyone else is doing around us to dictate how we live our lives because we know and we have an understanding that God has uniquely created us to be exactly who he needed us to be. Exactly who he needed us to be. Step into that. Step into that in your relationship with Jesus. Watch him reveal to you who you were uniquely created to be. Whether you're 8 years old or whether you're 88 years old, it's never too late to step into what the Lord has called you to do. So many people think, oh, I'm 45. That season's too, I'm too old for that now. I'm 55. I'm 65. You're never too old to step into a relationship with Jesus to allow him to lead your life. You're never too old for that. Some of the greatest leaders of our faith in history didn't start until they were much, much older. The Lord's timing is unique for everyone. So don't ever second guess that you aren't good enough, that the Lord hasn't placed you in the place that you need to be. Because you are exactly where He wants you to be right now. So step into that. Step into your identity. Step into who God has created you to be and watch Him work in your life. Watch Him move mountains. Watch Him prepare and do things that you would have never thought possible. I, as Sheree was sharing earlier, I just had this moment of reflection because I remember having conversations between the two of us where if Sheree could have looked ahead into the future and saw herself standing up here, she would have said, there's no way. There's no way. And while it might seem like I am a, I, I, I don't mind speaking in front of people, I think there would have been a time where I would have said the same thing, where I didn't have the confidence in myself to be able to do that. And as you allow the Lord to work in you, and as you build your relationship with Him, He takes you to places that might be uncomfortable. But when you are uncomfortable, that's when you grow. It's just like a muscle. Any of you have lifted weights before, you know that it is sore the next day. Man, is it sore. And you're like, why did I do that? But if you continue to be okay being uncomfortable, that's when your muscles will grow. That's when your spiritual muscles will grow. That's when your relationship with Jesus will grow. And that's when you can start serving others. That's when you can start doing those things because you have an understanding of who you are in Christ. Right? Amen? Anything else you want to add? No?
So today, <clears throat> Shree and I were praying about how we wanted to, to wrap up service. Um, set wrap up service today. Kara, if you want to come up and, and play the keys. So much about living a spirit-led life is first understanding who you are in Christ. And understanding that without him and without him leading our lives, we're just lost sheep. We're just lost sheep. 